Welcome back to Mining Stock Deal, everybody. This is going to be somewhat of market analysis here for our Monday afternoon. There's a lot of news items uh, that I want to get uh, his uh, very uh, humble thoughts about, and I wanted to touch base with our fine green feather chicken friend, Mr. Doomberg. Doomberg, welcome back to the podcast. Trevor, great to be back with you. And, you know, whenever we see an email from you in the inbox to come back, we know that there must be some big headlines <laughs> going on. You know, it must be said in the past year, there's no shortage of those, but great to be back with you. Hope you're enjoying spring. Um, nice to see the weather turning and looking forward to a fantastic rest of 2023, I'm sure. Uh, yes, uh, here in Colorado, obviously it's uh, spring-like, mid-60s and sunny the last couple of days. So obviously we'll be welcoming snow later tonight because <laughs> that's what happens in Colorado. Uh, but I, listen, I, I reached out last week uh, because you published a piece called Golden Handcuffs. And I do want to spend a good amount of time talking about this piece that you wrote to your subscribers. Uh, but that's Obviously, since that email and this was scheduled, there's been more news headlines that have kind of hit the tape that I also want to get your thoughts on. So, you know, do you want to start with Golden Handcuffs since that's a little bit more particular to the podcast and then maybe we branch off to these other ideas? Yeah, sure. Either way, I'm happy to start with uh, OPEC Plus and their actions over the weekend, too, because it's more topical. It's your show, whichever way you want to go, my friend. Well, let's start. Let's let's start with that because honestly, the OPEC Plus news is really on top of my mind right now. Sure. And I think we can maybe head uh, head toward the former topic as we progress. Big major surprise cut by OPEC Plus. It's having having ramifications in the market. Maybe uh, in some places passively. It's also the timing of this is very interesting. Um, you know, I guess give me your thoughts here. We don't necessarily follow the oil industry all that intricate intricately here on the podcast but what should we be watching what do we need to know in our view the number one thing to watch and to keep a close eye on is the relationship between saudi arabia and mbs um, and the united states and joe biden and ultimately um, in our view the best place for reporting on the commodity sector is actually the financial times they have a pretty talented dedicated team of, of what we would consider sort of traditional news reporters, um, a lot of investigative reports come out of that paper. It's still sort of unbiased and to the point and a good source of information. So we saw a very fascinating report out of the Financial Times this morning where um, they attribute the surprise cut of OPEC plus around 1.65 million barrels a day of production, a little over 1 million barrels a day for traditional OPEC. And then there's a lot of Handwringing around whether and how to count Russia's contribution to the headlines from yesterday. But if we assume, you know, a million and a half barrels a day, that's a very sizable cut. And and the Financial Times attributes the motivation um, for this cut to the Saudis and to their irritation with Biden's refusal to refill the strategic petroleum reserves in support of oil prices down here in this sort of $70 a barrel range, which in their view, at least if you believe the reporting of the Financial Times, was a promise um, that Biden made when he visited Saudi Arabia, famously during the, the fist bump um, press uh, press moment. Um, and and I do think, um, you know, as, as we were chatting a little bit before you turned on the record button, there's a lot of chatter on Twitter about sort of the end of the dollar and, you know, looking for these types of signs in the marketplace. And, and you know, um, those signs are real and they exist and, and you should observe them. But there's a scenario where we don't see sort of the end of U.S. dollar hegemony, but we see it weakening, and that could actually really matter a lot. And I think the point source of 
friction in the global energy markets uh, resides squarely uh, on the relationship between Saudi Arabia and the U.S. And, and even the most pro-Biden observers would have to say that that relationship has rarely been distrained uh, in, say, the past 50 years. Um, and every day it seems like there's a new headline about um, Saudi Arabia, Russia, China forming a stronger set of bonds together. Um, generally speaking, historically, that doesn't bode well for, um, for regional leaders who, who sort of take such an aggressive stand against the U.S. dollar. So we'll see what happens in Saudi Arabia in the next year or two. Um, but that's, that's where we would look. Um, that's what really jumped out at us. And, and it seems um, that this is actually quite personal. And, and you know, at, at these levels, with the egos of the leaders involved and the power that those leaders you know, uh, have in their, in their very hands, um, such things aren't to be ignored. I think they actually matter. I, I just, I'm, I, I guess I'm a little bit perplexed as to it, it, President Biden's idea of refilling or, you know, attempting to restock, let's just not say refill because that's going to be very difficult, but to at least restock some of the strategic petroleum reserve, which was taken over the last uh, year or so. It seemed like obviously a positive political move, but it, it never came into fruition, obviously. And I just don't understand the political motivation of just having the headline of going to do one thing and then actually not following through on it in this case, because it is an incredibly important part of the U.S. infrastructure needed for emergencies. And here we are, and it seems like every day we're faced with a new emergency that could possibly pop up. And we haven't made any sort of move towards at least replenishing a fraction of what was taken. Um, I mean, I guess as a, you know, as a voter and a U.S. citizen, this has got me generally concerned. But what also has me concerned is the response here that the reporting from the Financial Times is uh, is correct. Uh, you know, the response from OPEC plus to cut production response, I guess, to the lack of buying and refilling that SPR from the Biden administration, maybe has me a little bit more concerned about where does this head to next? Look, it, it's very clear that the process of politicizing the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has been ongoing for the better part of a decade, something we've written about extensively. There's a whole series of mandated future sales out of the SBR um, that were baked into budgets of yesteryear in order to game the Congressional Budget Office scoring of said budgets. Um, and, and ultimately, we have predicted loudly and to the ridicule of some on Twitter that the SBR will never be refilled. And why did we say that? Um, when oil was negative, Trump tried to top off the SBR and the progressives in Congress always and forever will view spending money to put oil in the SBR as a quote, handout to the fossil fuel industry. And so there will never be political support to refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That's what makes the politicization of it ahead of the midterm election such a scandal in our view. And to give your listeners a sense of scale, oil was you know, trading around 120 when Biden aggressively moved to empty the SBR to the tune of 1 million barrels a day for the period of six months. Well, OPEC Plus just cut oil production by 1.5 million barrels a day for the next eight months. And that gives you a sense of um, what's going on here. And by the way, since the politics, AOC is, and Chuck Schumer are never going to be um, for 
spending oil to prop up oil, you know, spending money to prop up oil prices, because it's unquestionable that that's what would happen if, if the U.S. started to actively refill the SPR over and above the mandated sales, which is what they would have to do, then the price of oil would go up and progressives want oil to go away. They, they, they think oil companies shouldn't exist. They certainly don't think they should make a profit. And they certainly don't think that the federal government should be spending taxpayer money to ensure that they do, regardless of the national security implications uh, of failing to do so. And so um, I think OPEC dealt a severe blow to President Biden yesterday, both symbolically and I think um, you know uh, tangibly. And uh, we shall see. I, 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 I would keep a very close eye on Saudi Arabia. And, you know, this comes on the heels of news that Saudi Arabia will, will be investing billions of dollars in a joint venture with China on refining capacity, which removes probably half of half a million barrels a day of oil off of the the market, as as uh, Zoltan Posner has correctly said, you know, China is busily uh, traveling around the world encumbering oil that would otherwise be part of the free float. And as the free float of tradable oil shrinks, the volatility of the price of oil um, looks set to skyrocket. And um, we shall see. Um, you know, I, we wrote a piece uh, a week or two ago about, you know, um, Biden's decision to, um, to permit some new drilling in the, in the Alaska Wildlife Reserve. Um, the piece was titled uh, Between a Rock and a Cold Place because ultimately Biden is stuck. On the one hand, he's got these radical environmentalists who live under the delusion that we could somehow wean ourselves off of fossil fuels. Uh, in a time period measured in years, as opposed to decades or even centuries. Um, and at the same time, he's confronted with the old school political reality of the price of pump, the price of gasoline at the gas pump dictates his political future. And so mm-hmm. uh, Biden is an old school politician. He knows this is why he drained the SPR for the, the better part of a year ahead of the midterm elections last year. It was a pure, raw political move that worked. Let's be honest, it worked. There was no red wave because the price of gasoline fell from the spring to election day. And um, one of the reasons why OPEC Plus tolerated that was because Biden flew to Saudi Arabia and, if reporting is to be believed, promised that when oil got to this range, $70 a barrel, that uh, he would be buying um, to refill the SBR and to give um, American producers sort of uh, a shot to head some of their long-term production. Um, And he refused to do that uh, and, in fact, accelerated another 26 million barrels uh, of sales um, that were mandated for this year into the spring to cushion uh, the spring driving season in the U.S. And so the response from OPEC Plus is, it can only be seen as a direct and personal affront to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And um, but that has some pretty interesting consequences. Uh, just kind of curious in general thoughts here. Gold made an astonishing $30 reversal overnight this, you know, last night and into this morning. Um, do you think the gold trade is kind of sniffing some of this geopolitical tensions out here in the petrodollar? Well, that could be a great segue into golden handcuffs because that was right. the core of the piece. <laughs> That's which, where I was uh, going here, Doomy. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, in golden handcuffs, we talked about how you know, uh, people are looking at the U.S. government's crackdown on Bitcoin and saying, well, you know, I, I don't own any Bitcoin or I'm a, a no coiner. So what does that matter? Well, it matters because the precedents being set to very easily be turned on gold owners. And in particular, there's a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram for reasons why people want to own Bitcoin and gold. If they don't trust the system, they want to have money outside of the U.S. government surveillance state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, many people in the gold community are looking at the potential you know, development of a U.S. dollar alternative vis-a-vis BRICS 
that could settle their international trade in gold. And many believe, we think correctly, that this would um, cap Western banks' ability to suppress the price of gold because you would have physical gold settlement and the value of gold would be determined um, in a real way outside of the US dollar system. And because there are some connections between those two systems, arbitrage would take over and the price of gold as measured in US dollars would skyrocket. Well, in our view, if that happens, that substantially increases the risk of the US government once again outlawing private ownership of gold. Um, and we wanted to highlight to our subscribers, this risk is real, you should be aware of it. Here's the propaganda that the government would use to implement it. And if you don't think for a second that the, um, the precedents being set in Operation Choke Point 2.0, which is the, the nickname that I think Nick Carter coined to describe the government's crackdown on crypto, um, those exact same tactics are going to be used on gold ownership if suddenly um, Putin and President Xi decide to make gold a centerpiece of, of their trade uh, settlement uh, strategies. And so um, in the piece Gold and Handcuffs um, published last week, we, we said, here's what the propaganda would look like. Quote, gold owners are rich tax cheats. Gold owners are Putin sympathizers. Gold owners are unpatriotic. Gold owners are being well compensated for turning in their bullion. They're like, you know, presumably you would be forced to turn it in, but they would pay you at the current gold price. Um, gold owners represent a national security risk and gold owners enable organized crime like illegal drugs and sex trafficking. Like that's the propaganda. Not, those things may or may not be true to certain degrees, but that's what they will say uh, when they come knocking for your gold. And so while we have been critics of crypto fraud, um, and skeptical of the price of Bitcoin. Um, that doesn't mean that the government can just trample over um, the, the rights of these people, which they are doing, um, and, and don't think for, again, for a second that they couldn't turn around and, and repeat that playbook on, on gold owners, especially if the, US, the U.S.'s geopolitical adversaries are making gold a, center poise, uh, a, center, a centerpiece of their attack on the U.S. dollar uh, system. Dilbert, I'm just curious about the ethos of this idea. I mean, is has there been quotes or conversations on record about, you know, re, uh, confiscating gold, gold and, and gold ownership? Or is this just one of those, you know, things that you and the team kind of see as next down the line of, you know, the government trying to save face here and, and, and save their system. More of the latter. This is us trying to get ahead four or five moves for our subscribers, which, you know, again, um, our view is it's okay to be wrong, but never, never be boring. And we, we want it to be, you know, provocative and, and to make people think. Um, and, and in particular, we have written several pieces of uh, bemoaning the tactics that are being used to, to crack down on the crypto community. We, we do concur and have written about the enormous amounts of fraud that are taking place in that space. But again, that doesn't mean that due process rights um, should be waved away so flippantly. And so to drive that point home, we decided to um, write the piece that we did to show to our subscribers who, who we have many, many, many gold bugs as subscribers for a variety of reasons. We're gold bugs ourselves. Um, and so we thought it would be a useful analogy to, to show to our subscribers just how easy it would be um, for that to happen. And, and again, separating crypto from Bitcoin, the, the overlap and the Venn diagram of reasons why people own Bitcoin and reasons why people own gold are, are much higher than perhaps uh, traditional gold owners would care to admit to. Um, but they're very similar instruments. One just is digital. Um, and in many ways, of course, Bitcoin is, is more amenable to uh, medium of exchange requirements for moneyness than even gold is. Um, and and we talked about how, you know, um, uh, 
uh, the counterfeiting of gold and and so on and and all of the challenges with assaying gold and its origin and and so on uh, make the exact same arguments that are being used against crypto could be easily made against gold and that was the reason why we decided to be provocative in that piece well and it's thought provoking because those of us that know the history of gold know that this has happened before and not so long you know 90 years ago this happened 100%. Yeah. Um, and so it's not out of the normal to think this you know this isn't just a new idea, but it is thought provoking and I'm sure there's a lot of people subscribers and and maybe a few people just read the excerpt that wrote to you and agreed and disagreed. Hopefully it was all constructive, but per, perhaps not. <laughs> well, this is why we limit comments to paying subscribers. You know, our our saying is you control us all you want, you just have to pay for the privilege. Um, <laughs> but just just do this thought experiment. Imagine Putin and Xi announce a new BRICS currency with settlement in a basket of currents, uh, commodities that includes gold. And they're standing in front of a bunch of gold bars as they shake hands with this you know, tablet um, that they've signed with their fancy pens to uh, announce this new earth-shattering agreement. Um, don't you think that the US government might zero in on those gold bars in front of their two arch geopolitical enemies and say, yeah, okay, the game is up, guys. It's time to turn in your gold and, and uh, we're going to you know, patriotically fight this new geopolitical uh, cold war. It, it's not out of whack. It's not out of left field. I think it's very, very real and likely, actually. And so the thing that gold bugs are cheering for, because there is unquestionably a strain on FinTwit of people who are actively hoping for and cheering the development of a alternative currency to the US dollar that involves gold in international trade settlements. And, and be careful what you wish for. I, I do want to, I do want to kind of end with this idea this idea this de-dollarization narrative has just i mean we we've had this conversation you and i have had this conversation for the last couple of years doomberg but it seems in the last two weeks it has been way out in the forefront of everybody's mind in fact i almost feel like the pendulum of this de-dollarization narrative has swinging way too far to one side all of a sudden um you know it's almost the contrarian move. It's like, I'm thinking like, okay, well, if de-dollarization is all the way over here, I wouldn't be surprised to see the dollar strengthen from here. I mean, I know there's these news items, you know, uh, the settlement for Russian oil using Chinese yuan, uh, this idea of, you know, Saudi Arabia and Russia and China working more closely together. But just, but just because there may be more of a fragmentation using the, the yuan doesn't necessarily diminish the strength of the dollar overnight, or at least in the week, last week and a half. Well, I mean, Brent Johnson would say that uh, the path function to the, that event would involve a rapid um, strengthening of the U.S. dollar. Look, right. uh, let's be very clear. Both of us exist in the U.S. dollar system. I would like for the U.S. dollar to be strong. If the U.S. government outlaws the ownership of gold, I will be turning in my gold. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a law-abiding citizen of the United States. And regardless of whether I agree or disagree with a law, if a law is passed and the government mandates something, I'm going to follow the law. And so I'm not cheering for a world where the U.S. dollar collapses because my wealth is tied up in the U.S. dollar. My kid's future is tied up in the U.S. dollar. We're not leaving the country. We're not hiding our money in offshore Swiss bank accounts. We don't have Bitcoin on a flash drive that we're going to like immigrate to some country where it's suddenly a medium of exchange. Um, so when we criticize current U.S. policy and highlight the risks um, that we are sort of ceding to our geopolitical enemies. It's not because we're cheering them on or we want to see us lose. Quite the opposite. We're pointing out the flaws in our approach so that we could um, correct it. Because ultimately, um, we believe that's part of the political process in the U.S. and freedom of speech and the political discourse. 
um, and contributing to it uh, is part of our duty as citizens. And so um, I, don't, I don't think anybody listening to this who's sort of in the U.S. at least should be actively cheering for the downfall of the U.S. dollar or that our geopolitical blunders um, continue and that somehow like scoring points against the other team because it's Biden who's doing the, the blundering and you may consider yourself to be conservative. I think that's foolhardy. And, and we've only ever written under a Democratic administration. If there was a Republican one making similar mistakes, we would be just as vocal in our opposition. And so don't misconstrue um, our criticisms of, of how the U.S. is handling things as anything other than contributing to the discourse. But to be very clear, in a world where the U.S. dollar loses its, its um, status as the, as, as the global reserve currency, no amount of gold is going to save you mm-hmm. from the economic crisis uh, and the debt spiral and, and hyperinflation and all the things that will flow from that. Now, maybe we're on that path irreversibly and you want to prepare for it. That's great. But let's not hope for it. Let's not cheer for it. Um, and, and that's where we would try to try to sort of draw the distinction. Uh, I'm going to selfishly plug my conversation with Michael Howell. That's going to happen next week. And this is a topic I'm going to discuss with him, uh, quite in depth because, uh, I think it's pertinent after he wrote his book, Capital Wars back in, I think 2019, it was, you know, obviously published right before a lot of the, uh, uh, the COVID response in monetary policy. So I'm going to see how things have changed since then. But this is a topic I'm going to chat with him quite a bit, the use of the dollar, with international settlements and all that. But um, anyways, Doom, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I highly recommend anybody who's listening, please at least go visit doomberg.substack.com. Inquire about a subscription. It's thought-provoking. It's, it's just, you know, it's something that gets you out of your own element of often so i appreciate you coming on to the podcast too and sharing your thoughts awesome trevor always great to be here looking forward to our next discussion the information presented should not be considered investment advice mining stock daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions